scripture passage today comes from Genesis chapter 2 and 3 selected verses. Listen for the word of the Lord as we begin with chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, made aprons for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? And he said, Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're studying the first few chapters in the book of Genesis. Uh, this is a marvelous story. Last week we, we heard about the creation story. The creation story where everything's made and it's called good. And there's a sense of order and harmony and beauty. And God says at the end it's exceedingly good. Just makes me think of a poem by E.E. E. Cummings. The poem that says, I thank you God for this amazing day for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and the blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. There is just so much beauty that comes in that story from the beginning of Genesis. Everything is so perfect. And then like the title in the Michael J. Fox book, a funny thing happened on the way to the future a snake shows up. 
this snake show, fallacy of false dilemma. You could say that that snake in his, all of his logic was bent, twisted, and serpentine. No wonder he's a snake. Eve and Adam needed a good lawyer to help them think this through. The snake, you see, the snake sets the terms of the debate from the very beginning. Eve gets very defensive. He throws her off guard. She gets defensive. And so she, she's off balance and she overcompensates. And, and she, she tries to protect God and put, a, put a, a, a fence around what God had say to add even more to it. She says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, neither shall you touch it. But God never said that. She's trying to protect God. God doesn't need our protection. The snake has pushed her off balance. And the snake retorts, you will not die. You will be like God. And then, having set the terms of the debate, Eve starts to see the world through these snaky eyes. She looks at the tree and sees it's good for food. It's a delight for the eyes. It makes one wise. So she ate, and Adam doesn't say a word. He just goes along right, right along with her. But look at how the snake had infected her thinking. Good for food? They already had the whole Garden of Eden to eat from. They had all the food they needed, and it was all good. Why did they need this? Through the snaky eyes, something like greed had started to affect, infect them. A delight to the eyes, it says. But the whole creation had been created good. Why does Eve say it was a delight for the eyes? Because when you look at yourself through snaky eyes, you start to doubt yourself, to, to feel uh, this free-floating inadequacy. She had to have the fruit to make her feel good about herself. To make one wise. That's the third thing she says. And that's the one that I'm most intrigued by. Eve's desire to eat the fruit to make her wise. You see, our wisdom comes from what we believe. We perceive and then we believe from what we perceive. So be careful about what you believe. She had started to believe the wrong things. And when you start to believe the wrong things, you cannot see straight. Wisdom. Wisdom comes from working hard, from thinking carefully, from thinking faithfully. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. In other words, don't check your brain at the door. But the snake, the snake whispers in her ear that she can get a shortcut to wisdom. It's a lot like magic or idolatry or conspiracy theories. The idea that you don't have to work for wisdom. You just grab it, purchase it, or download it. God had set boundaries, simple boundaries that were clear Sin is when they break through the boundaries and they become fearful and have a sense of self-doubt, self-hatred and inadequacy. It shapes their perception, their, their beliefs shape their perception and they start to see themselves that way. I, I may have said this before, but I, I, I 
bought this great compass a few years ago. It guided me on some wonderful hikes in Alaska. And then I came home and I stored my compass next to a magnet. Obviously, it got demagnetized. It still looks practically new, but it will not show you the way. Some people are like that. They desensitize you. They demagnetize you. They pull you off course. This story about the snake says, be careful about the company you keep and the voices to whom you listen. Of course, the opposite is also true. There are some people who can help you find the way, guide you to true north. In which case, again, be careful about the company you do keep because they can help you see anew. I think this story is one that that shows how some voices can infect us. And, 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 And surely in this story, the voice of the snake infects Adam and Eve, and all of a sudden, the story is not about the apple in the tree, it's about the pear on the ground, right? Harvey Cox had a profound insight in this story. He said the real issue is not that Adam and Eve broke a rule. The real issue is they let the snake make the choice for them. The snake sets the terms of the debate and in essence tells them how to see. Eve follows the snake's twisted logic, and Adam is passive in following Eve. It shows both of them are just following what the voice of the snake had said. Adam and Eve are confronted with a decision, but the snake chooses how they will see the world, how they will define the situation. The snake, in essence, makes the choice for them. And if that's the case, then the root of sin is, is not like the ancient Greeks who saw the linchpin sin as rebelling against the gods, but rather the root problem here, their high treason against God looks like this. They let the snake make the choice for them. They abdicate their responsibility. It's less that they rebelled against God and more like It was election day, and they did not bother to vote. They let the snake determine how they saw things. Now, the truth of the matter is, for our lives, we are moral actors, and we live by the stories that we tell ourselves. And our story is going to tell us what role we play, how we relate to other people, what character traits to develop, what vices to avoid. And as we we live our roles with one another in the stories that we have, we shape our institutions, we shape ourselves, we shape our society. But Adam and Eve let the snake tell the story for them. Kierkegaard said that the only real sin was the despairing refusal to be oneself. I love that. The despairing refusal to be one's self. It's a detail of our dignity that we decide who we are. We don't allow others to dictate our decisions or to tell us our story. In that case, this very simple story in the Bible offers profound insight for us today, and it makes us ask the question, in what forms do the snake's voice come through today? 
Sometimes I think it's the loudest, most aggressive voice in the room, the least civil, the most outrageous. Those are the voices that get the microphone time. They bully us into letting them make decisions and and to describe how the world's supposed to be. Other times, like we've been studying in the book of Exodus, the snake speaks in whispers from gossip and complainers and grumblers, the, the unrest that spreads among the whispers. And sometimes I think the voices are, are repeated endlessly in the cons- conspiracy theories that are so rampant today, that the, the conspiracy theories that make people feel like they've got some insider knowledge or that, that they're above it all or that, that they're bonded together with these other people who, who have this special knowledge. Where do you hear the voice of the snake speaking today? The truth of the matter is, our stories really do shape us. And they shape the institutions that become the embodiment of those stories. Jack Stotts was the president of McCormick uh, Seminary and of Austin Seminary later after that. Uh, And Jack said something that, that I've never forgotten. He said, if you value something, institutionalize it. He said, we, we've lived through very anti-institutional days uh, for, for decades. We've been anti-institutional. But we've come to understand that if you have values and if you want those values to endure, they have to take an institutional form. Otherwise, when you lose energy, those values will dissipate. And when you pass away, those values will pass away. Unless... You truly care about those values enough to put them in the form of some institution, some way that that is going to perpetuate them, then they will fade. And so we as Christians have schools and seminaries and churches. And I just want to say from my experience in my life, I've been to some wonderful schools. I've known some great, some great people. I have found greater wisdom and guidance to live in the light of God's grace through the Presbyterian Church than any other place. I want those values to carry on. But if I want those values to carry on, I have to take responsibility to tell that story, to live by that story to join together with others and and make this institution that we call the church to perpetuate that story. Because these values do not just happen by magic. And they are not obvious to people. You don't find people out there much talking about love and grace and forgiveness. Those sorts of things are our story. And we need that story to go on. It happens when people work together, when they study together, when they pray together, when they get themselves organized to teach and worship and do mission. That's how those values come together and and are perpetuated. In every church I have been associated with, I have always made a financial pledge every year because I find the experience of God's guidance and love in that church and I want that to thrive. So I I want to tell you, I I hope you opened the mailbox this week and got the love letter I sent to you. Uh, It may look like a pledge card, but it's a love letter. Because I want you to remember the values that guide us, the ones that we celebrate are ones that we must perpetuate 
And it's only going to happen if we institutionalize them in ways of the church that grow and grow stronger. They happen because people choose that story and share that story and because this church grows in strength. Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's our story. That's our wisdom. And it's only gonna happen as we carry that story forward. There's no easy path to wisdom. And anyone who says that, that, that you don't need the church, I think they're listening to the voice of the snake. Because this is how those values grow and are perpetuated and are explored and are questioned and doubted and, and then they reform and they're, they're taken anew. There's no easy path to truth but we can find where God is guiding us as we come together and learn the possibilities and learn the limits as we support and grow. But it is a choice. It's a choice that we have. The choice that we have to listen for the voice of God and not the voice of the snake. The snake wants to give us easy answers, make quick and easy decisions, and above all, to not have us make any commitments. We want to rewrite the story, don't we, sometimes, of Adam and Eve and the snake? We want something easier to hear. As that, uh, that famous philosopher, uh, George Carlin, said, when God said, whatever you do, don't eat the apple, wouldn't it have been better if God had said, whatever you do, don't eat the snake? But the truth of the matter is, the snake is still out there, whispering, blustering, being subtle, in all sorts of forms, and all sorts of voices, trying to twist the story. As people of faith, it's up to us to know how God is guiding us and what we believe to make clear the values and the visions that God has given to us, and then to commit ourselves to those values, to live out the story that has been blessing our lives and guiding our lives. But we have to make sure that we don't let some snake tell us what to do. Amen.